Yeah, it's good to be back here today and to be able to come and just share God's word with you. And what I'd like to do as we begin, I'm going to be talking about prayer. It would be good if we stopped and prayed and asked God to lead us this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning we come before you as people who need you for every part of our lives. And Lord, we, we come today and as we look at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open it to us and give us an understanding that we can apply the truths that are within it today. Lord, take us and grow us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wanted to ask you today, what would you do if you found yourself in prison for a crime that you did not commit? What would you do? Would you pray? I think a lot of you would pray, wouldn't you? A lot of you would pray especially about your circumstances. I want to suggest to you today that the Apostle Paul did just that, but he didn't pray about his circumstances very much. The Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, he, the crime that he committed was simply sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he found himself in prison for that. But what he did with his time was that he got in and he started writing letters to the churches that he had planted. And he wrote lots of them, and you'll find in, the, in your Bibles that our Bibles have the epistles of Paul all the way through the New Testament there. There's this impact that he had. And when you think about prayer, I counted up 42 texts that indicate that Paul prayed. 42. Well, only one of them mentioned his situation. There's one where he said, Lord, please take this thorn in the flesh that I've got away. And he prayed it three times. But all the others, he prayed for the church. Very significant because life for him was not easy. Life for Paul had been a case of, of being thrown in prison of being flogged, says he three times he got flogged, he got beaten by rods, he got shipwrecked, he got bandits got him, he got in all sorts of danger. There were lots of things that happened to him, he even got stoned, not with drugs, <laughs> but stoned with stones. Obviously they didn't quite kill him with that, but that was Paul. And he emphasized in those letters that he needed to pray for the church. This morning, I want to take you to see a prayer that he prayed in his letter to the Ephesians. Now, if you know Ephesians, you'll know that it's gone down in history as the pearl of the epistles. It's got some wonderful, wonderful truths in there. And he prays two prayers. There's one in chapter 1, a prayer for enlightenment in chapter 1, and then in chapter 3, he prays a prayer for enablement. The one in chapter 1 is all about getting these people 
that are in the Ephesian church to open their eyes to see all that they've got in Christ Jesus. Do you ever stop to think about all that you've got in Christ Jesus? He mentioned something like 30 to 40 times that they were in Christ. These were Christian people. And yet there were some things that they hadn't got really into their lives that they needed to see. Well, that's the enlightenment part, the first half of Ephesians. He helps them to see the way to life. And then he comes to the second one, the enablement. And I think it's even tougher because he starts praying that they will be enabled to live the life. And the last half of Ephesians is all about how to live it. How to live it. And this prayer is about teaching them how they can be enabled to live the life. So you could say the first part is the way to life. The second is to make Christianity a way of life. A lot of people today want to get their ticket to heaven, but they do not want to make it a way of life. Let's read it today and see what he says. So we're reading from Ephesians chapter 3. And I think we're going to start at verse 14. My pages are stuck together here. Here we are. Paul says this. This is his prayer for the Ephesians. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, that is some mighty prayer. I've called it the prayer that knows no limits. 
Paul falls to his knees. I wonder why. You know, the prison, cold, damp, concrete. Surely he could have sat or stood and raised his arms to God, but he falls to his knees. What's the best posture for prayer? How do you like it best? Do you like lying in bed and praying? Do you like sitting by the fire and praying? Do you like standing with your hands in, in the air and praying? Do you like to sit in a bath, spa bath or something like that and pray? Or do you like to pray while you walk? What's the best place to pray? Any? Yeah. Rabbi Jeremiah was asked that once and he said, I think people should pray because they're less likely to go to sleep. You know, in the Bible, we find that when people come face to face with Almighty God, they usually end up on their knees. Why? They end up on their knees because when they come face to face with the Holy God, there's nowhere else you can go but down to worship Him in a state of utter and complete humility. And that's the Apostle Paul as he starts this. Friends, what I want to do today is to just give you a few little points that come out of this prayer because I think that the Church of New Zealand needs to pray desperately at this time. I look at what's going on in the world with this COVID-19 pandemic and all the impact of it. I look at how we've got the situation where you can no longer travel Personally, Andrea and I have got two children that are way overseas. We can't go and see them. And if they do come, they're going to be locked up for um, quarantine for a while, just about like prison. And you see on TV, people are trying to break out of quarantine. How do you say it? You know, and then there's a whole financial world has collapsed. So many people, there might be people here today that have lost your jobs. And you don't quite know what's going to happen tomorrow. And, and the whole situation, even churches haven't been able to meet the way they used to. These are tough times, friends. And I believe that there are times when God wants us to learn to pray and to pray and to pray. We need to pray, friends. God wants us to pray. I want you to notice how to pray today. Paul says... He prayed that the Ephesian Christians would be strengthened by God's power. Wow. He says in verse 16, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Now, he's not talking about physical strength. You know, you turn your television on at night and you'll find just about every night they've got an advertisement there on the latest gimmick to get you fit and strong. 
few little while later you find them down at Wastebusters when people have got sick of using them. But there's all these gimmicky things to get us physically strong and make us live longer and, and things to stop us aging, anti-wrinkle cream and so on and so on and so on and it just goes on and on. When was the last time you saw somebody advertising strength for the inner self? Paul wants strength for the inner self. Friends, we need, if we're going to cope in the world that we live in today, I believe we're going to need to have our inner selves. That spiritual dynamic needs to be strong. Very, very strong. And we need to pray for that. You know, a couple of hundred years ago, you would have heard of D.L. Moody. One time he was going off to preach somewhere and two ladies came up to him and said, Mr. Moody, we are praying for you. And the next time he went to preach somewhere, they came up and they said, we're praying for you. And the next time he went to preach somewhere, they came up and said, we're praying for you. And he said, he started to get really peeved off. And he said, why are you praying for me? Why don't you pray for all those lost people? Why pray for me? And they looked at him and they said, Mr. Moody, it's because you need God's power. You need God's power. You need that anointing that would really charge you up with his power. One day it happened. You can read it in the history books. He, he fell to the ground just absolutely overcome with God's power. And in the end it got so much that he had to ask God to, to release it because he couldn't cope. He thought he was going to die. But what happened following that, and I read this in Wikipedia, at least 100 million people heard the gospel through him. 100 million? Not a million. 100 million. Wow. Did he need God's power? Do we need God's power? What do you think? You know, when I get around and talk to people about God's power, I find it really interesting that if the people are over about 60 or 65, they will refer me to a time when they received some empowering in the charismatic movement of the 1970s. Anybody here had that happen? Put your hand up if you did. Look at the hands start going up. You know, when we look back in New Zealand's history, one of the really bright times in church history was the charismatic movement of the 1970s. And I just got married, 1972. Andrea and I got married, and, and we had a, a deep experience of being empowered by God at that time. And it changed our lives. It led me down a track that eventually made me into a pastor. Hundreds of other people throughout this country have done that. Does the Church of New Zealand need empowering today? It does. A few months ago in our Baptist magazine, Charles Hewlett, our national leader, put in there some graphs of the growth of the New Zealand church in the last few years. There was none. Every church pretty well in New Zealand is in huge decline. Every denomination, the whole lot, Baptists included. And he, and he in this article, he was 
reaching out and he's saying, friends, we need to pray. We need to pray and pray and pray that this will turn around. We need to have something of God's power make a difference in our churches. Because it's 50 years since we've had the charismatic movement. It's a long time. We want God to move, friends, and make a difference. Then we're going to need to pray. We're going to need to pray. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, when You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Friends, God's power is there for every aspect of the Christian life. He's there to enable us to live it. <coughs> He's there to enable us to witness. He's there to enable us to change our lives. He's there to give us understanding. He's there to build and encourage us with our relationships. God is there and he wants to empower us for all of those things. He wants to. Do we need to be strengthened by his power? The answer is without a doubt, yes. And I'm including myself in this, that all of us need to be renewed and empowered by the Spirit of God. In another place, Paul says, My God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? He wants to empower you. He wants Alexandra Baptist Church to be filled up with empowered people that will go out and make a difference in the world. I want you to notice the second thing that he said in this passage. Not only the power, but he talked about God's presence. He prayed that they would experience the indwelling presence of of Christ. Verse 17 it says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, when was the last time you were in a position where you knew you were right in the presence of God? When was the last time? What he's talking about here is not just visiting our hearts, but dwelling in them. Now, we all talk about being in Christ or having Christ in us. And we talk about the fact that being a Christian is, is when Jesus comes into your life. And, and some people, you would think, what that means is that he came in on the day you were converted, and that's the last time he came in, and that's the end of it. Friends, it's not. He came to dwell within us. And in the, in the living New Testament, he says that he calls it to make his home in our hearts. Not just come in, but make his home in our hearts so that our lives are an ongoing experience of, of 
having his presence there and knowing it. And in Revelation 3.20, and this is a, a, a verse that is often used with evangelism for speaking to the lost, but it's actually not meant to be. John was speaking to the church of Laodicea, and it says, this is what he said. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and dwell with them. Uh, and I'll come in and eat with the, the, him and he with me. He wants to come in and he wants to have this, this experience of touching our lives and blessing us and, and encouraging us and building us up. You know, one time I read a book, this is quite a long time ago now, called I Found God in Soviet Russia. And it was written, an autobiography by a guy named John Noble. And this guy, John Noble, found himself in prison in one of those hideous Siberian prisons where they put you in and they throw the key away. And he was there for something like 25 years. But for eight of those years, I think it was eight years, he spent in total solitary confinement. You imagine that, not seeing another human being for eight years. And he said in his book that most people went completely mad with that experience, and that was the goal of it, to destroy them. But something happened to him. When he was in this solitary confinement, he started calling out to God, and he said, one day, Jesus came right into his cell. And so he did it the next day, and Jesus came right into his cell, and he did it the next day, and once again, Jesus came into his cell, and, and every day, he spent this time in the presence of God, and he knew that Jesus was real. And he said it kept him from going bonkers. What a story. I think somehow we have it too easy, friends. Too easy. The psalmist in Psalm 16 verse 11 said, You have made known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence, with the eternal pleasures at your right hand. In my presence is fullness of joy. We, friends, have the privilege of spending time in God's presence every day. And I wonder... Why often we don't. I wonder whether busyness gets in the road. I wonder whether self-centeredness gets in the road and all sorts of things stand in the way of us getting really into God's presence. Well, friends, let's have a look at the third thing. We've talked about God's power. They needed God's power. They needed God's presence. Now I want to suggest to you that they needed God's love. He prayed that they would experience the extravagant dimensions of God's love. And I got that word extravagant from the message paraphrase. It talks about the, the extravagant dimensions of God's love. But this is what it says in the NIV. It says, I pray that you, being 
rooted and established in love may, be, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know the, this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's a story told that Napoleon Bonaparte, when he was leading his army around Europe and he was conquering this place and that place and the next place, on one occasion they went down into a dungeon and they found the skeleton of a person who had been chained there. The chains were still there and the skeleton was there. And they found this person and on the wall beside them, that person had scratched into the wall a cross and they'd written the words, height, depth, length and width. What that person was doing was focusing on this text. That person must have been a believer and their circumstances were terrible. They had been locked up and chained and left to die. But they're saying, you can take everything else from me, but you can't take God's love. I've got God's love. Now what does he mean? You know, somehow we need to be really rooted and established in our faith in God's love. And what does it mean, these, this description? You know, I, I think about the length of his love, or the breadth of his love. You know, how wide is God's love? It's wide enough to encompass the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that verse. The width, the, the, the breadth of God's love. What about the length? The length. Well, I, when I think about the length of God's love, I think about human beings and sometimes the love that we have over a period of time, it runs out of steam. You know, you sometimes see married couples that end up getting divorced because they no longer love, the, the, the length hasn't really sufficed. What about God's love? God's love stretches through the whole of eternity. There's no limit, there's no time when he cuts his love off. No time whatsoever. What about the height of his love? How high does God's love go? When I think about that, I think it reaches all the way to heaven itself. There's, you can't get over it. God's love, so high. And then, friends, I think about the depth of his love. When I think about the depths of a love, I realize that his love delves right down and even in the very depths of our sin God still loves us you know today we had our communion feast and it's a time they often used to call it the love feast 
when we remembered the full extent of Christ's love. But why do we need to do that? You know, listen to what it says in Ephesians 3, 18 from the message. I love this from the message. It says, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. And rise to the heights. Do you like that? Wow. God's love. God's love. You may have seen the movie, God's Not Dead. And in that movie, of course, there's a case where the professor and this boy, Josh, who's one of his university students, are head-to-head and... Josh is trying to prove that God is real and the professor is saying God is dead. There comes a time in that movie where the professor gets really angry and he says, I hate God! I hate him! I absolutely hate him! Now why? What comes out in the movie is that he hated God because his experience of God had been bad. He had a mother who loved the Lord. And the mother had got cancer and she had died. And he had decided, well, if God could do that to his mother, then he's going to hate him. Is that the right response? You know, things happen to people, don't they? But it's not God's fault. It's part of the frailty of humanity. It's not God's fault. I wonder how many people today, how many people in Alexandra are not here today because they hate God. They haven't had a full blast of God's love. How do we get that? Romans 5, 5 says this. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I was reminded of a story of one lady that had lots of things go wrong in her life. She had health issues and relational issues and all sorts of things happened. But she said every time she felt like giving up her faith and blaming God, she would walk out at night time and she'd look up at the sky and she'd look up at the stars and she'd say, well, God made that for our pleasure, then he's worth loving. Amen? Yeah, he wants us to love him. Well, friends, there was an old song It's got the words like this. Some of you youngies would never have heard it. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star. It reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Paul prayed that they would have God's power 
He prayed that they'd have God's presence. And he prayed that they would know God's love. And the very last thing he prayed was that they would be filled full of the very life of God. Is that asking too much? It says in verse 19, Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Well, he had already said to these people all the things that they had in Christ because Christ was in them. Now he's saying that you need to experience it. You need to have the very fullness of God coming into your life and day by day filling you and blessing you and and empowering you and giving you that sense of presence. It's almost like this last point is summing up all the others. It's sort of encompassing them and saying, when you've got all those other three, it's going to be, you're going to get stuck getting filled up with God. Wow. Did you know that Christianity is not just a code of ethics about how we should live? It's actually an exchanged life. Not a changed life, an exchanged life. And when we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens is that he exchanges our old selfish, sinful, behavioural patterns and he says, look, I'll come over and take your place. I'll live within you and, and I'll exchange. You, you can have all of God, all of what he has got to offer. That's why I called my sermon the prayer that has no limit. (laughs) He's offering us something that's beyond limitation. Absolutely beyond it. I wonder why people settle for less. Why do I settle for less? Why do you settle for less? Maybe it's because our measurement is wrong. And we're trying to weigh up life by measuring it against us when we should be measuring it against the Lord Jesus Christ and realising that God is offering us everything. Absolutely everything. Well, what a prayer. To be strengthened by his power. Boy, I could do some more of that. To have Christ dwelling in me every single day, well, I could have some more of that. To experience the love of Christ more deeply, well, I could have some more of that too. And to be filled with the very fullness of life from God. Well, that says it all. This year... When Anzac Day came, we were all in lockdown, weren't we? And they ran some programs on TV called New Zealand at War. And one of those showed the story of the evacuation of Dunkirk. What they didn't show, or what they didn't give credit to, was the miracle of it. And I want to give you that today as a way of winding up this message. 
If you know the story, the German army had backed the Allied forces down onto the beaches of Dunkirk. And Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister at the time, was busy preparing his speech of what he was going to say when the massacre took place and a third of a million soldiers that were on the beach that day were all going to get slaughtered. They had nowhere to hide. And the Germans were ready to shoot them. He's all ready with his speech. And King George VI made a big announcement. He said, I want everyone in England, if they know how to pray, to observe a complete day of prayer. I want you to go to the church that you belong to and pray and pray like you've never prayed before. That day, there were so many people went to church that they couldn't get them into the building. All over England, people were praying and praying that this massacre would not happen. And God moved. The wind stopped. It became deadly calm. And there was a fog settled down over that whole area so that the Germans could not get a single plane off the ground. And that day, over 800 little vessels went trundling across the English Channel. Just little boats, all sorts of people, and they rescued these men. People prayed, and God's power went to work. Well, friends... There's a lot going on in the world today and we need to be people that will pray. We need to have churches that will get absolutely real about this. And today, I, I just want to call you today to pray. Alexandra Baptist needs to be a people with it, that are praying that God would make a difference. I've noticed what's on the news. They don't give any credence, credence to God whatsoever. You would have seen it. But God's people can pray. New Zealand needs it. The world needs it. So I hope that today, that, that little message that I've given you from Paul's work... I haven't quite finished because at the end of the service I'd like to give the benediction because it's in here too. So I think we're going to sing a song but friends, if you want to be a person I'm just going to give an opportunity for anyone who would like to have some prayer so that somehow their prayer life would come more alive and you would have something of the power of God. We, we just give you an opportunity to come and yeah, and we can pray with each other. I need it, you need it, we all need it.